God's laws are for our benefit. They're not for his benefit, really. I mean, he's God after all. This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Eric. Hey there. Tracy. Morning. And Karen. Hello. Got the whole gang back together this week. Did you guys have fun without me? Not as um, You should have heard the things those guys were saying about you, Karen. I was very respectful, <laughs> but but Eric well, that, and Tracy that, were I already very... know slide. Just stop right there. Like... <laughs> Eric and Tracy were very disappointing. I was so ashamed of them. <laughs> so, little uh, funny, Lucille Ball had this funny thing she would do when she was having dinner parties. Somebody would go out of the room to use the bathroom or whatever. And when she would come back, when that person would come back in after being out of the room for a few minutes, she would say, we'll say it to her face. <laughs> Just to see what I gotta remember that one. That's good. <laughs> right, it's, it's a real conversation starter. What? I mean, I'm normally so respectful, and and um, you know, I think about people's feelings before I speak. You know, but um, you know that that could that that could be funny for a change. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we are we are all back, and we're raring to go. We're glad to have Karen back. She had a she had a little. A little personal time. Looked like she had a good time, and um, probably, probably a little kind of little mountain therapy for you there, wasn't it? I learned how to snowshoe at ten thousand five hundred feet. Hey, yeah. Treeline, how's it going? <laughs> no, it sounds fun. It sounds exhausting, but it sounds fun. Well, it was pouring snow. It was so beautiful up there, but it was pouring snow, and it was like it was it was like blowing hard right into our faces. One of my coworkers turned 60, right? So this was like a birthday weekend shindig. So then we we hike, you know, we go out, 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 out. Everything's beautiful. We stop and take pictures. We stop and have lunch. We turn around to come back and the wind has shifted and it's in our faces again. And it was like, really? <laughs> it's like sitting around a campfire. It doesn't matter what? where you move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Remarkably like cycling too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty. Very fun. Oh, I good. might have I might have a new habit. We'll see. Oh, it sounds fun. Well, we left off last week. David had been he had been crowned as king over Judah at this point, but not all Jerusalem because Saul Saul is dead at this point. A lot of there had been a lot of uh, of support uh, thrown David's way, and we're going to talk some about that. Some of that stuff that was behind the scenes that we didn't really hear about before. But uh, David has been named king of Judah, though not over all of Israel. Saul's son had been set up as sort of a puppet king by, oh gosh, Abner. Abner, thank you. And it just, it really wasn't going well. And Abner had eventually thrown his hat in the ring for for uh, David. And uh, there were some shenanigans that ensued there in David's camp with uh, between Abner and Joab. But so now David is king in the city of Hebron in Judah. And the text tells us, starting in 2 Samuel chapter 5, that he's been 
he's been in Hebron now for seven and a half years. So, so this went on with, this is the guy who was supposed to be anointed king after, after Saul. He was named by God, David, that I'm talking about. And now it's been seven and a half years since Saul has died. And David is just this little ruler over this, you know, just a portion of everything. Now he's, uh, he's 30 years old. And all of the elders of Israel finally gather together to anoint David. And we bounce back a lot here between 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. We're going to go through uh, 2 Samuel 5 and 6 and through 1 Chronicles 11 through 16. And I don't know if we'll necessarily say when we meant bounce back and forth because there's just there's a lot of... It's like a two-way mirror. You're looking yeah. at the same thing, different mm-hmm. perspectives. Yeah, and there's times when you're literally, you read one and you flip the page to the other yep. chapter... And it's right. like it's like it's like they cut and paste it, you know. Yep. Do we but, know who wrote these books? Do we know who wrote? I mean, Samuel's dead, so it's not Samuel. And Chronicles, yeah. like, do we know? I don't know. Oh, okay. No, I don't think there's a definitive. Here's who wrote it in uh, the beginning of in mine. That I think some have proposed that Ezra might have done some of Chronicles, but that's a because the 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 fact is that. Um, when we go through the chronologies and so on in Chronicles, it goes all the way up to the Babylonian captivity. So mm. that we know it, it fast, Chronicles anyways, fast forwards quite a ways historically past where we are right now. At this point, the Jebusites are still living in Jerusalem. And I guess, and even the name of the city, it's like it bounces back and forth. It's still kind of called Jebus, which is where we get Jebusites. Uh, these are not the people that were supposed to be living there, at least as far as God was concerned, because remember, the Israelites were supposed to have pushed all these people out long before this. But these Jebusites, they start to taunt David, and they think they can hold him off. Well, even our weak ones will defend. Yeah. Really will defend the place. Yeah. <laughs> I, right. I get this stupid. I get this thing in my, in my head of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail when the Frenchmen are up on the up on the up on the the castle wall and we we they're taunting down to king arthur maybe it's just me sorry well, that's what probably. they did probably and it's an interesting little um i don't remember again if it was samuel or chronicles is that the jebusites had said the old and weak will diff, will get you and i swear i did not make this up david says to his people okay who wants to go knock out the old and weak let's do this right and yep he yep. just he kind of puts it right back at him. I was like, oh, that's a little bit of sassiness right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, he offers a chiefhood and a captainship. Is that the way you say that? Captainship? So he offers somebody to become a captain to whoever will attack Jerusalem first. Joab, he's like, I'll do it. And apparently it works out well because they they get get, uh, Jerusalem and now, this is a kind of an interesting, and it will, I think this will play in later on, not, not maybe, not today's reading, but at some point it will. King Hiram of Tyre sends cedar, carpenter, and masons to build a house for David. And that'll, that's going to that play in later. Yeah. Yeah. And David picks up more concubines and wives, and it's interesting that it kind of differentiates. You know, when I was reading this, I kind of went back and, you know, I was looking at it, and okay, so David was thirty. He had to do 
how long did we say 14 years? In where? As since he was anointed uh, to be the new next king before he actually became king. Oh, seven and a half. No, no he had seven and a half. He ruled in. Uh, he ruled seven and a half. I don't yeah. know. You see, I don't know that it says because it doesn't tell us exactly how old he was when he was anointed. I thought it said he was thirty. Well, anointed oh. over Israel or anointed over anointed by Samuel. Samuel. Oh, okay. I get you. I get you. We don't know how long it was between the promise was made. Yeah. In between when it's, when he saw it realized. Mm-hmm. So but my thing was that's a long time waiting, long time refining, long yeah. struggles, the whole deal. Then he becomes king, but he only becomes king over part of Israel. Mm-hmm. And then so it said that when Abner put up the, Saul's son, who was 40, as a puppet king to rule for two years, wasn't it? Yeah. So then what happened to the other five and a half years? Turmoil? Hmm. I, apparently, um, Israel was without a king. Because I was like, you know, and then I could see, I could understand why he went and said, okay, let me get the highest point, strongest stronghold here, and and prove prove it just to get things moving. You know what I mean? He was ready to set up his kingdom, and it was like, you know, I wonder if he was just kind of chomping at the bit at that point. You know, I want to get this going. I want to unify the country that I've defended over and over and and get things going. Did you guys get that impression at all? Or is it just me? Well, it certainly didn't just seem to me that he waited very long once he did get named king of Jeru- of uh, Israel to go take over Jerusalem. Yeah, that part. I, I didn't really think about how long that was. But to your original point, Tracy, about waiting, absolutely yes. I mean, here he's received a promise from... God via Samuel. I mean, it's a pretty straight connection. And he's seen evidence after evidence after evidence. And it's obvious in his inner, you know, that, that God did this and he believes it. And his, his interactions with, um, with Saul prove it. He's like, no, I'm, I may be anointed, you know, here, but I'm, I'm not the one yet. We're going to, Saul is still the one. Mm-hmm. And, his waiting and waiting and waiting. And it wasn't like peaceful waiting. It wasn't like, Hey, why don't you wait for uh, seven years on the beach in Puerto Rico? You know, it was was running away from Saul. He was running for his life. Yeah. He had a lot of, I guess it's easy to miss that, that, that um, there was a lot of waiting in his life. And he was in fact, the anointed by God. And it's a, I guess it's a, Gentle reminder, if I want to take it gently or a little more pointedly, that I need to chill a little bit with there you go for things to happen. That is what I was driving at. It's like, can, you know, can we bring that home to our everyday lives? And especially, too, with everything that's gone on here in the last couple of years <laughs> that, you know what? We don't always see the big picture, but, you know, the Bible and the stories and the parables and characters we can still gain something from that and i think too that sometimes we just overlook that david's portion we always go to his heart and how his faith and everything else but sometimes i think we forget patience yeah because he had to have a lot of it or that was what had to be refined in his character 
even though everything else, you know, he had a great heart and everything else, he still had to go through that refinement period. And it was a struggle. You know, and I was thinking, too, I haven't heard from Karen yet, but I did mention you last week when I was like, man, I wish we could get Karen's perspective. But I was thinking about her this week. And it was like when I was reading this, I was like, you know what? It's hard. Sometimes it is. It feels like it's your life. And it's like, okay, God, I need something. You said you you brought me all this way. It's so cliche. You brought me all this way, but you wouldn't, you won't forsake me right now. And I think that's what I was reading or what was really driving me at this week's reading. No, and, and I and I totally agree. And I I could tell some stories, but we just won't. We'll just move on with this because the Bible's much more important than me. But it just yes, I totally agree and it's an extremely uncomfortable process, and I still don't like it. And I just, I wish, okay, so I got a tattoo on my arm to remind me to wait without anxiety for God to come through. And and yet I'm still having to learn the lesson the long, slow way, which is annoying because I think that if I got the tattoo, I should be able to skip the life lesson. <laughs> That's my opinion. It's not working out that way. I am by nature a very efficient person. I want to know what to do and 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 I want to work to remove the obstacles and to create success for whatever is going on. I can't do anything right now. And I I feel like I'm a, sometimes I feel like I'm about to bleed from the ears and sometimes I just sit and cry. Like it's so hard for me. I think that you're touching on something that's very real and see if we can see this as a as a recurring theme in people's lives is that we get, all of us get, there's different ways we could say that tested is the short way to say it. (laughs) Opportunity to grow is the longer way. I had that opportunity. We, we, so for our listeners, when we're done recording, very often we just stay online because we're recording this remotely from each of our places. We'll stay online and talk with each other. We communicate outside the podcast. Yeah, we're actual friends. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the themes is um, we all have stuff going on in our lives. And it's not an, we don't have easy lives. And everybody's easy and everybody's challenge is totally, totally different. Right. Totally different. Mm -hmm. And I believe we're tested on the things that we struggle with, you know, over the last, oh, good grief, six months, I've been working on a real estate license. Just a pro tip, I chose the worst real estate course online that you could possibly do. And it's been just a, it's been awful. And um, I have been tested because I've always been a good student. And this has just really pushed me because all of a sudden what I used to be able to like, Oh yeah, I can do that. I couldn't do it. Could not do it. And it tested me. And I had an experience only about two, three weeks ago. It's hard to remember that I had a terrible experience. And I remember the first time I went through it, that just, I won't detail, but I handled it poorly. We'll just leave it right there. And wouldn't you know it, I had quote air quotes opportunity to repeat that experience. (laughs) And, and I realized, I know really, I realized this is my opportunity to handle it better. 
And I did, and it, and I just realized, yeah, I, I could do this better. And these characters in the Bible, we've got mostly David today, and we see some of the things that he's doing. Some are good, and some are bad, and some we we have a story right here where David has an opportunity to do something better. He does it wrong, and there are consequences. And instead of saying, that's it, I quit, I'm out, which he actually does at first. It's a little refreshing because he does what we, I won't put this on anybody else, but he does what I will sometimes do. Like, that's it, I quit. And then he reconsiders. He's like, okay, let me take another look at this. And he gets a chance to do it. My point with this whole thing is is that Karen, me, Tracy and Matt probably, and certainly David have opportunities to look at this because, okay, one of the things that we're going to see David address later in his life, this is much later, that there's all these women that he marries and he has children by all these women. Some of them he doesn't even marry. And David has opportunity to, I guess, to, to, to be, te- he's tested and he turns a corner late, late in his life. He's like, you know, um, that chapter's over. For me and he behaves differently than he has his whole life and he has opportunity to do it differently and i think god both tests us gives us opportunity to see where we fail and gives us opportunity to do better and to karen's point it is not a comfortable process so a few weeks ago i can't remember if it was the end podcast or if it was after the podcast but i read these texts from the beginning of the book of James and James hadn't been written at the time that David was doing his thing. James hadn't, James, the person hadn't even been invented yet, but here's, here's what it says. Uh, James chapter one, starting in verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right. Now, if you fast forward to Revelation, which a lot of us, I, I, you pro- you've probably all seen the meme circulating uh, social media since early 2020 with the picture of the person looking out their window. And it says me looking outside to see which chapter of Revelation we're doing today. Right. Because mm-hmm. like. There's a lot of chaos going on, and it's like everybody's expectations of what will be or what should be are right out the window. But if you go to Revelation, Revelation chapter 14, it's talking about the end of the world and the garbage that's going to go on. And it says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. So... There's the reason to be grateful that it's happening is because then when large external things like right now, the things that are happening to me personally feel large and external, but really they're only large and external to me as an individual, right? Like the, the things that I feel horrible about that are really weighing on me are the things that are, that are incredibly personal. Like they really only affect Karen in the grand scheme of the world. But there's other stuff that is coming that will affect the entire world and each one of our salvation, the way we handle it will actually affect our salvation. 
And so that is the reason, <laughs> that is the reason to be grateful for trials is because, at least I hope, that in using my personal circumstances to strengthen my character, it's making it so that I will be okay in the bigger picture mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. End of speech. That's it. Oh, agreed. Yeah, definitely. We have a, yeah, so it is definitely shown a, some character on David David's part. I have really been impressed by digging into David's character in this read through. I mean, I've I've read through a few times, you know, but it's never never studied quite so much and just just uh, really picking up on things about his character, his patience and his his grace and his I mean he's not always, you know. He's human, but um he is definitely an interesting study. Well, we talked there briefly about all these wives that he he has many. I don't know how many wives he ends up with, but he does pick up some more here while he's here in the beginning of of, of the reading this week. And he has some more kids in Jerusalem. Uh, the ones named are Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon. That name should be familiar to us. Ibahar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhiah, Elishama, Eliada. And Elif, or sorry, Eliphalet. Gracious. I, you know, I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's eleven. And I think last week we named off a a, a handful of others. And I wonder if he knew all the names of his kids. Well, somebody did because they're written here. Maybe <laughs> right. this was his to keep track. Maybe <laughs> I gotta. You know, some of us have to keep lists of passwords. <laughs> David kept a, li- a list of the ch- his children's name in his po- names in his pocket. <laughs> are you Eliada or are you Eliphalet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how a guy does it. I guess that it's good to be the king, huh? But then once you you dig into his character, that was one of the things that you know what? Maybe I overlooked it in the past, but I never remembered him having so many wives. I That's actually didn't fun. either. But yeah. it was, you know, and then it kind of wonders and stands to reason that we always put that on Solomon, kind of going a little bit ahead and just speaking. But you know what? That's what he was around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was a fairly common, common thing at the time. These days, I would, well, at least I know I would freak out at the idea of more than one wife. But and you know, I've got two kids, and that's plenty. Let's just say it that. Do it's you flipped. know their names? Usually. Do you know their birthdays? Uh, yes, actually that I do. <laughs> do you know their blood types? No. See, failure. Okay, yeah. move on. <laughs> Karen wasn't going to quit till she came up with something. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Actually, I probably do. I would imagine they're, I'm guessing they're probably the same. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> As we, if we move forward in in uh, Second Samuel five, mm-hmm. there's two kind of back to back things. David fights this, the Philistines. The, as soon as David gets established, the Philistines are like, "Oh, we can't be having this," so they mm-hmm. attack. And the the cool thing about this is that David inquires of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and and the Lord says, "Yes, go fight him." And he goes and he fights and he wins. Then the Philistines come up again and fill up the same valley of Rephaim, and David inquires of the Lord again. And this time the Lord says, you shall not go up. Basically, don't just march straight out there. Here's what you're going to do. 
you're going to loop around behind them. And then as the ESV says, uh, you shall go around to the rear and come up against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching mm -hmm. in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. For then mm -hmm. the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philippines. Philippines, the Philistines. Don't let your wife <laughs> hear that one. Yeah. And David, did the, and David did as the Lord commanded him. I guess my point is, is that David, even though God had specific, okay, here's situation A, God says, okay, go do X, Y, Z. David's like, cool. Well, situation A shows up again. Here's the thing. He stops and he asks instead of like, well, I'll just do the same thing I did last time. He asks, says, well, what, I, what do I do this time? Mm -hmm. And God says, okay, don't do the same thing you did last time. And he, first he stopped and listened. He asked, I guess you should say, first he asked, and then he obeyed. Mm -hmm. And how many times do me, us, we just launch off in life, and we're like, oh, I'm just going to do the same thing we did last time. And what makes it even more, I guess, plausible is it's like, well, that's what that's what God had me do last time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, maybe that's not going to be the answer for this time. Right. Yeah. That's... um See, that's another one of those things about David's character that I like is that he stops to think about that, to think about let's ask God. Let's not just assume everything's going to happen exactly the same because that's probably what I would do. I'd be like, oh, it worked this way last time. Let's just go again. You know, what What did, what do you, let me try that sentence again. <laughs> what did you make of uh, the, the marching in the treetops? Did you, anybody get any insight on that? I mean, is this, uh, you know, is this like a an angelic forces going before, or is I, this? Um, I, I don't know. assume that was some kind of a divine sign. I mean, obviously that's not natural. Yeah, I have no idea. And, and in the tops of the trees, like, what is that about? Mm -hmm. I guess it was. I take it as one of these things. Like, I believe much of Revelation is like, if we study it and we're waiting and we're listening and looking, we'll know. God will say through the Holy Spirit, "Yeah, that's the one." I'm yeah. reading through, um, we're reading through a book called The Desire of Ages with our family for worship in the evenings. And we read the story of as Jesus is um, dedicated in the temple as, a, as an infant. And it brought out the point that's obvious if you think about it, is that these priests were dedicating babies all the time, every day, all day long. Somebody probably shows up for work and they're like, yeah, what am I doing? Like, you're on baby duty. <sighs> all right fine <laughs> and they just go to you know baby dedicate all day okay so they're doing this all the time which is what they're supposed to be doing but only two people actually get it Simeon and um, Anna the prophetess they see something that nobody else sees because the Holy Spirit says that's the thing and I think that so many things are spiritually discerned we have to be tuned in and listening for it and when it happens, we're like, oh, that's the thing. We don't know what it means before we see the thing. Because, I mean, Anna and Simeon, they, I mean, they both were revealed that they would see the Messiah. It's a baby. I'm, a friend of mine in high school said, all babies look like Winston Churchill. And it's like, to some degree, a baby <laughs> is a baby is a baby is a baby. And how can you tell one from the other? I mean, if you're a parent, you can, you can tell everybody you can tell the difference, but you can't at the beginning. Huh. Um, and how did David know what marching in the top of the balsam? This is the only time in scripture this ever shows up, never shows up again. 
it's just yeah. one of those things where wait for it when it happens, do it, and we move on. Just a very fascinating little window that we see as we drive by. Well, as they defeat those Philistines, they, the Philistines leave behind a bunch of idols and stuff, and, and uh, the men, David's men, actually burn them. So we're seeing a lot of good things happening here that in the past we've seen things not so great. You know, it seems like in the past, sometimes they would take their idols and, and I don't know if they were sort of, you know, I guess spoils of war type of thing, but they would like bring them in and keep them. And here it just seems like things are sort of just falling in place in the right ways because, because they're not, they're not showing any like respect or maybe respect value. They're not showing any real value to any of these things left behind by the Philistines of, of, uh, at least of their religion. First, let's see, I don't know, things bounced around a lot here, and so my notes are probably going to be a little jumbled. But the f- next thing on my notes is First Chronicles 11, and we talk about the mighty men of David. And it tells us specifically there's three men out of 30 who were, like, sp- very, very um, how do I want to put that? They were more mighty? I don't know. They were, they were, they were recognized. Uh, more than others, but I think I, if I remember right, we only really get the name of one, or at least one, only one that came out clearly to me. Eleazar was named as one of the three mighty men, and there were some that said like they attained to the to the mighty men, but um, but weren't one of the three. So I don't know exactly who these three are, but we are kind of told that this is like this elite. I don't know if it's like this elite fighting group of of for David, but they go to David at the cave of Adullam. Let me see here. Let me get my, let me get myself turned to the right place. Okay. So while you're going there, I'm going to read yeah. a little verse here. Okay. This is in first Chronicles 11 30. Now, Abijai, the brother of Joab was chief of the 30 and wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and <laughs> won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander but he did not attain to the three. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, one against 300. Good job. You get fourth place. I'm like, yeah, smokes. Who were the top three guys? I, I, as, as, as an extremely straight female, these chapters made my heart go pitter pat just a little bit. I, <laughs> oh, this is such cool stuff. Yeah, these guys are amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it tells, it gives you a snapshot of some of the battles that they were in. And one of them is back to back with David. Like Eleazar is back to back with David in a field of barley fighting a whole troop of Philistines, troops, troops of Philistines. And they do it. It's like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. These dudes. Hey, even as a, well, yeah, even as a straight guy, <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is some awesome stuff. I want to see it, you know, this is. <clears throat> These are the these are the kind of things that uh, get put into some of the better movies, you know, and <laughs> and uh, you're like this would be an this you know if they did it right this could this would be an amazing, you know, a, an amazing scene for a movie. What are you looking for there, Matt? Oh, I was just trying to see that these guys go to David um, at this cave of Adullam. See, yeah. this is in um, verse fifteen starts, and the Philistines. They have a garrison in Bethlehem. And David, sort of offhand, 
I don't, I don't get the impression that he's, he's suggesting, well, definitely I don't think he's suggesting anything because of his reaction later. But he's like, boy, I would sure like a drink out of that well in Bethlehem. And those three, they'd say, let's go do it. Because that's his old hometown. Like, that's where he's from. But he, he kind of wishes for this well, this drink from this well. Maybe it was really great water in Bethlehem. I don't know. Maybe it's just as, uh, like you say, maybe it's um, just bringing back some memories, being so close. But these three guys, they say, let's go get him some water. And <laughs> they break through the camp of the Philistines. And they go to the well and they get some water and they bring it back to him. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, it speaks, it speaks to David's leadership. That these guys who are apparently so amazing would do this on his behalf without being asked. And yeah, so I mean, he, he's definitely he's got some real loyalty here. And it seems like genuine loyalty where a lot of the stuff with Saul, like when you think about Abner's loyalty to Saul and how quickly he turned, you know, that was more of a that seemed more of a. um uh, a situation of 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 situational loyalty. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Convenient, convenient uh-huh. loyalty. Yeah. So here's mm-hmm. my take on this. You know, I'm, I'm reading this and hanging with the Marines for for like 20 years. This is those elite kind of warriors that are on a roll and they're machines. David just throws out that challenge. It's just something to say. And those guys have enough confidence and enough moxie to say, you know what, that's what I'm going to go do. If you want water from there and it's fortified, you know what, I could do it. We can do it. And that's what they went and did. And I think, too, once once again, looking into the character of David, we see that David, we call him a war king. But really, he was, let's just call it what it is. He was a killing machine. Yeah. And if yeah. you look and we, you know, fast forward ahead just a little bit, that's one of the things that, that the Lord told him, you know what, you can't build the temple because you know what, you have way too much blood on your hands. And you see that right here. That yeah. was what kind of king he was. He was going to fortify his nation and he was going to bring it all together. He was going to run out the people that needed to be run out. And he was a strong arm to do it. And he had the people around him to support that. And this is, to me, when I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, he was, this is like the SEALs or something. This is what these guys are. Yeah. It was his little personal band of killing machines. I was thinking the same thing. I've been around a number of enlisted men in different different forces. And, like, while they were enlisted and after they were enlisted. And every single one of them, like, all the way back to my son when he was going through boot camp as a teenager – the gleam in his eye when he would tell you the stuff he had learned. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know? And then, and like telling, telling war stories. It's just like, it's like, it's like a continual proving yourself. And so to me, it sounds like David makes an offhand comment and three of his dudes are like, mm-hmm, let's go do it. And it doesn't even occur to them to feel threatened by it because, you know, because of everything that Tracy just said. So the, the, uh, we won't go through all of them. The readers can can read in First Chronicles eleven and twelve some of the some of the battles that these guys did, some of the exploits, and it lists them all. It lists every one of the uh, the uh, thirty, which is interesting. They don't 
I, with you, Matt, too, is like, we, I got one of the three, but the other two of the three, I'm like, who are these guys? Yeah. yeah. Um, among the 30, Pete is, is an interesting uh, fellow called Uriah the Hittite, mm-hmm. who is one of David's top, 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 most loyal, best performing guys. He shows up again later. Yeah. Not just a warrior, but he had character, too. Yep. Yeah. Well, speaking of character, I want to finish off that story there about about that water from uh, Bethlehem oh, yeah. because those guys bring that water back, and then David won't drink it. He 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 won't drink it because these guys risked their lives to bring it to him specifically, and that's an interesting aspect of David's character, where he doesn't. It's like he doesn't want just he doesn't want people just following him. Uh, and just carrying out every little petty wish that he might have, which makes me think that, you know, he, he wasn't setting these guys up or he wasn't suggesting that anybody go and get this water for him. It was probably, it was probably just campfire talk, you know? And, and when these guys do it and David sees this loyalty to him, he's having a hard time accepting that. And he put, he actually pours the water out, says he pours it out to, uh, pours it out to God, but um, he's he's not real keen that these. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's appreciative of the loyalty, but he's not real keen that they would go and do such a risk their lives for such a really a, a petty a, a, a petty wish. Yeah, there's no purpose to it except yeah. yeah there's no purpose except for fulfilling David's whim, mm-hmm. which is interesting because he makes it a point to say that's not who I am and that's not how I'm going to roll. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll pour out this water as an offering and say thank you. Yeah, I am so honored that you would do this. It's too much of an honor for me to drink this. I won't do it. So he he gives the honor to glory to to God and to the people who did it, but not to himself. And that's rare because most people are like, yeah, sweet. You know, I guess I do deserve all this. So, anyways, mm-hmm. so I skipped ahead in in Chronicles twelve. So I did find the chief. I highlighted it so obviously he'd seen it before the uh amasai it's in uh first chronicles 12 18 spirit clothed amasai the chief of the 30 oh yeah there we go mm-hmm. but he's still not one of the three he's the chief of the 30 but not of the three but at any rate lots of lots of uh, tough fighters they're loyal um there is a note I have in First Chronicles thirteen three, we talked about the change of um, the tenor of the nation under David versus Saul. It says, "Then let us bring again the ark of the Lord to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul." It was back to what we said. Um, oh, it was many many episodes ago about Saul and when he. Uh, had trouble with the 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 ark. Somebody perished. He dumped it at Abinadab. He was in Abinadab's house. There you yeah. go. Go back to it, and it's still there. Yeah, mm-hmm. they totally forgot about it in light of chasing David, worrying about the Philistines. You know him losing his life in the in a battle. It's still there. So they weren't they weren't worried about, or they weren't. It wasn't a top priority. Right. Well, all this time, David was, he had been 
not bringing together, but all these people were 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 they were pledging loyalty to him in every single tribe. Thousands of people. I mean, you get. I guess when you're all done, tens of thousands of people through all of Israel had been had been pledging themselves to David and putting him under his service. Um, some of it was before uh, before Saul was dead, and some of it is is now. But now, like you say, they've decided that we're going to bring the ark back, or at least we're going to we're going to do something with it. Finally, they've known where it is the whole time which is kind of interesting. They haven't lost track of it. They know exactly where it is. It's in Abinadab's house, and it has been there for 20 years at this point. And in the town of, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Kiriath, I think it's Kiriath-Jerim, or it could be Kirjath-Jerim, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I think I've always heard it Kiriath-Jerim. But 20 years it's been there, and... It just it's had me wondering the whole time what were the temple services like or or the tabernacle services like were they even having anything were they doing sacrifices were they um were the Levi, what were the levites doing without without the ark in in the in the tabernacle did they even have the tabernacle set up and it almost seems like no because uh David sets one up specifically for it as it's as it's being brought in well, the, the ark isn't required for sacrifice. No, well, but but the ark old. was the ark the ark was where God's presence was, though. Yes. Yeah. The, you know? Yeah. Most holy place. Yeah. So, so I mean, I mean, guess what? I has me wondering though is without the ark in there, without the ark in the most holy place, you know, all of the sacrifices, yeah, they took place out at the altar, but things had to happen in the most holy place too, at least once a year for uh day of atonement stuff. Right. And for 20 years was that not going on? And were the sacrifices just going through motions or did they, did they even have them? It's, I don't know. We're not really told. No, the void. So yeah. David decides to do this. It's a big deal. They're going to move the ark mm-hmm. to Jerusalem. They uh, say, Hey, we're going to, Make a big deal of this. We're going to get a brand new cart, a brand new ox cart, and because it sounds good to them. And they load it up. They're walking along. They they sing uh, and play cymbals, and there's all kinds of uh, instruments and so on like this that they use and sing and do this. And I have heard people propose. It's like, oh, the reason that this went bad is because they did worship music wrong. I'm like, eh, no, because you need to skip ahead and see what happens when they do it right, and it's the same stuff. So mm-hmm. that's a mm-hmm. that's a no. Yeah. So what happens is they're they're on a cart. the 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 ark is on a ox cart. They've been they've moved it to some distance. Uh, I didn't map it to see how far, and um, the oxen stumble. Uzzah reaches out, grabs the ark with his hands, and he's struck dead by God. This isn't a heart attack. This is a judgment that happens in summarily. He's dead. And David says, uh, and David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David, so he took it and they put it in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And it remained there for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. And his household. So that's literally what happens. 
should we talk about what happens in part two and then kind of contrast those two things? Yeah. So, yeah, so in the one place, the guy dies. But then, uh, because everything's done well, a certain way. But after three months and David has seen the blessings that Obed-Edom has had, he decides, okay, we're just going to we're going to finish up. We're going to bring this thing into Jerusalem. And I don't know if he did some reading or something, but he realizes or he 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 recognizes that the Levites are supposed to carry the ark uh, on their shoulders with poles. It's not supposed to be put on a cart. And so they have them put it on. They have Levites carrying it in the proper way. Again, there's sacrifices made, there's music, and there's dancing. David wears an ephod, which is interesting to me. And the ark is placed in the tabernacle. And this time it seems like everything goes well. And David starts, you know, appointing Levites to care for it. Nobody dies this time. <laughs> yeah, and that's detailed. It's, it's mentioned super briefly in Samuel. What happens? There's only just a couple verses there, but First Chronicles 15, virtually the entire chapter is the process mm -hmm. of how this happens, and they did, and, and they they see a. There's an interesting line in First uh, Chronicles 15:15. 15, 15. They put on their shoulders with poles as Moses commanded them, according to the word of the Lord. It's kind of like in part one. They're like, well, we'll just do whatever we kind of feel like doing. We feel like this is a good thing. Let's go for it. And that didn't work. They had lost respect. And I think this is an interesting thing is that um, I had it just kind of skipped over me is that Uzzah actually was in the household of uh, what was it? It was in the house of Abinadab, was it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Him and his brother. Yeah. He was in the house of Abinadab. So he grew up with this. He's like, and eh, it's kind of like, you know, grandma's uh, corner hutch. Been around mm. my whole life, not that big a deal. And so I think he had lost sight of how sacred this was and how, like, this was, this was not just another piece of furniture. Right. I'd be curious to know how old Obed-Edom was. Like you, you say, if he, if he grew up, like, from childhood. I'm sorry? You mean Uzzah? Uzzah? Yeah, what did I say? Obed-Edom, because Obed-Edom oh. gets it afterwards. Yeah, right. Uzzah. Yeah, you know, I'm curious. Just, if, just became desensitized to it because he had been around it so long. Because if we go back, that they gave it to them because they're the ones that got it to the house properly. Because di didn't somebody else die, too, before that with Saul? When they were moving it, um, and then they parked it there? I thought there was a death too because they didn't follow exactly what they were going to do. Mm. Crossing the crossing a like a like a small river or something somebody reached reached out for it. I don't remember that. I thought somebody else had died before that when they tried to move it. Oh, I'll have to look. But it's it was the same thing. I wonder if he just became desensitized and like you're saying, "Oh yeah, I've been around it so long, let me just reach out." Mhm. Mm well, and kind of what I was saying there is if Obed-Edom is relatively young and it's been in that house, like you say, if he's grown up with it and I, mean, I don't know, I, I would assume maybe they kept it covered. Maybe not. I don't know. But if he had grown up with it and it was just a 
just a daily occurrence. Oh, this is over there in the corner. Yeah, you can see why uh, 20 years of 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 it being relatively commonplace, they would they would lose uh, that respect for what it represented. Okay, and even to the point where when we decide, oh hey, we are going to do something with this thing, it's like, well, let's uh, let's put it in a brand new cart. You know, we, we don't uh, <laughs> we don't put the we don't put the president into a Volkswagen Bug to 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 you know drive anywhere. We put him in a nice car. Um, it's kind of same thing here. Well, let's 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 put the uh, let's put the arc on a nice cart and and show it some respect. But nobody bothered to see what they were actually supposed to do with it. Karen. So the Philistines took the ark, and then there were like the tumors and the rats and all of the plagues that they struggled with. Mm-hmm. So they got a new cart ready and mm-hmm. attached new mother cows to it. Yep. And turned them loose, and they waited to see if the cows of their own volition would go away from their calves, which had been penned up over here, and take the ark back to Israel. And if the cows did that, which would clearly be against their nature, then the Philistines would know that the plagues they had been suffering were from the Israelite God, were because they had had this relic of the Israelites, and that they that the plagues would be lifted because they were... reversing the situation all right so the cows take it back to israel and they bring it to beth shemesh right and the inhabitants of beth shemesh here's the deaths that you're talking about tracy they go and they sort of handle it and they look in it right and they get get struck down and in the wake of and then um so then it says they sent messengers to the people of how did you say that? Kiriath Jerem. Kiriath Jerem. So they sent a message to that town saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it to your town. So the men came and took the ark and brought it to Abinadab's house. There you go. That's the story. Mm-hmm. And it sat there for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember us talking about that because the Philistines got away with putting it on a cart because they, they, they didn't know the difference. Right. They were showing it as much respect as they knew. Right. Or the Israelites should have known the difference. Right. And and uh, it was because of the way they had handled it that that it did fall. And Uzzam, Uzzah, 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 Uzzah should have yeah, known. Should have known. Should have known. Don't put it on a cart. Don't touch it. And and uh, and yeah, it came out badly for him. Now, an interesting part of the story there to me is that David became angry. Let's see, in 1311, David became angry. Let me look at what it says. You know what? I was thinking about, too, and this kind of goes back to the military thing with David. And I think this is where he missed it just a little bit. And this is just me looking from the outside in. But one of the big things is always attention to detail. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where David missed it because David got mad. He got scared. Because he thought, in the grand scheme of things, you know what? I'm doing the Lord's work. I'm going to get the ark. I'm going to bring it back where it's supposed to. Everything is good. And he didn't pay attention to detail. He knew exactly what he needed to do, how to deliver it, what he, the the should and should not. And he, he it was missed. And mm-hmm. somebody had to die. And that kind of woke him back up to, okay. We need to make sure we pay attention to detail. We even do the smaller things because God is a particular God. 
he has rules and he wants you to follow them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think that they're just for petty, like I'm going to do this as a test to see if you can do you know X, Y, and Z and I'll come up with the most obscure, fact, like my real estate course, you know, the most <laughs> obscure, unmentioned, unimportant thing and then make it as a trick question. Come on. The Ark of the Covenant was the central, like, everything of everything for the entire nation. I mean, can you imagine, we're, we're in America, but can you imagine somebody saying, like, oh, yeah, the Liberty Bell, let's just play a concert on that with sledgehammers. That'll be fun. It'll make cool sound. Somebody would probably speak up and go, like, um, like, no, that's, that's kind of special. That has some history. But apparently... As the Israelites had gotten to this point, the Ark of the, the Ark of that was, I mean, this was the piece of furniture that was in the most holy place that only a consecrated, specially selected Levite could go in once a year to even be in its presence. And now it's like, yeah, let's throw it on an ox cart. It's a new one. Uh, but hey, and we'll just. I mean, that's a. I don't think it's easy for us to conceive of really how far this drifted from what it was. Mm-hmm. This is a long, 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 long ways. And sometimes we, I'll include myself in it, find ourselves in the position of David and the other people. It's like, well, as long as we're singing with all our heart, right? As long as we just mean it with our heart, then it's all okay. And this lesson would say otherwise it would say no there are some things and there are some times when just because you meant well and did it out of willful ignorance it's not okay i mean i've gotten pulled over before and my explanation to the officer was well i didn't know about that and his explanation to me was your ignorance is not a valid excuse. Mm. Like, oh, <laughs> oh. Do you guys remember the couple of places in the New Testament where it says that God winks at times of ignorance? Yeah. So, like genuine ignorance, like what the Philistines did. Like yeah. they realize, you know, they, they're trying to make something right, and in making something right... In, tr- in this effort to make something right, they, they do it wrong, right? But they genuinely, they genuinely don't know the difference. Right, and they couldn't have, so how would they have known? And, right, and so their method, their method of transporting the ark is winked at. And then, and then here it comes back to the Israelites, and, and they don't get the same leeway. They could have and should have known and done better mm-hmm. it wasn't right. a, it wasn't a matter of like gosh how would they know it's like well kind of it was central to your entire everything as a nation yeah mercy seat ten commandments aaron's rod book of the law yeah mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. was yeah and and so not not to not to beat it up it's like they could have done better here's the thing they did they went back they searched they're like oh wait a minute Something, we didn't do something right. What happened? And they figured, oh, there is a way we're supposed to do this. Let's do that. And it was honored. They did move it in. It was There's a cool kind of poem, I guess, in First Chronicles 16 that yeah. uh, is, is written about that. Um, David's thanks. There's a very interesting little um, 
vignette here of D- David is dancing before the Lord, and this is, let's be honest, this is not um, this is not late night disco dancing kind of thing with the uh, with the uh, other worshippers here. This is a totally different kind of a thing. You can look up Jewish dance for you know religious dance. It's a totally different thing. <clears throat> so he's dancing. He's wearing the ephod, not his kingly robes. So he's wearing right. basically. In our world, T-shirt and jeans, you know, or Carhartt and T-shirt, if you if you will. And Michael looks at him doing dancing and not wearing the kingly robes, and she despises him. Not only that, she goes out and tells him off and says, "Oh, so you're just going to appear like just a plain plebeian in the in the eyes of all the all the other women?" And David's like, "Um." Yeah. yeah, and this is not going to be the last time. This is this is to honor the Lord, and this is what's really cool about David in this particular case. He says, when it comes to how we appear, how I appear before God, yeah, I'm just like everyone else, and I'm okay with that. Well, that was really interesting. Mm. You know what? I was I was thinking of the same thing too when uh, when I was reading it, and then I went back to our discussion. Wasn't it last week? When we talked about, how do we say it, Michael, McKay? Michael. However well, we say it. Yeah. You know, there was a possibility she still wasn't even happy. Remember, her husband followed her. Yeah. You know, David asked for her back. She had not been, they had not been husband and wife since probably early on when Saul gave her to somebody else. So she went on with her life with somebody else. Now she's back with David, made pro- most likely against her will, I'm going to say. So she's not happy to begin with, and this was a, a chance to spit a little venom, mm-hmm. and she did. But I think if we go back to Second Samuel, wasn't it too that she never had any children after that either? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't look at that too too kindly either for her, you know, spewing a little bit of venom. But you know, I was thinking about her side of it. There was a possibility she was didn't want to be there either, even want to be with David king or not yeah she was his first wife and then Saul gave her to someone else and I remember back in those early days like she it said Michael loved him right and, yeah and like she lied to her father's guards and said oh well he's sick you know he's in the bed see he see how sick he is he's just laying there and and gave David a chance to get away so at one point she had feelings for the guy who knows what had gone on in between right a lot of That's years married and, you know, apparently I, I'm just assuming, but there must have been some feelings there, too. The poor, poor guy followed the caravan, taking her away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what do you guys think of this? Um, so, OK, so I spent a long time in the legal field and they have two ways of arguing a case, the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. And there's this saying that I've heard amongst many attorneys over the years that basically goes, if the facts are against you, you are, let's see, how does that go? If the law is against you, you argue the facts. If the facts are against you, you argue the law. If they're both against you, you yell like hell, right? (laughs) Like you're just trying to get, try to get heard and do your job and whatever. But the, the point is, People, people come into court when they're trying to justify their actions and they say, 
I know that the law says this, but in this situation, this is what made sense. And here's why. Right. And they use the situational details, the facts to usurp the letters of what the law says. And they try and they're trying to point out that it is within the spirit of the law because I did the best I could within the circumstances that were available to me. Right. And then there's the opposite side of that. You'll get people who are genuinely in a terrible situation and have every reason to fumble through with whatever is at hand. And the prosecuting attorney won't even give that a nod of consideration. They'll just be like, nope, this is what the law says. Nobody cares about your personal circumstances, right? So when it comes to the many instructions that we have from God, through a lot of my growing up years, I struggled with the difference between those things. Like, what is the spirit of God's law? What is the letter of God's law? Where is the where is the honor? Right. So obedience. Right. So there's there's and then on and then on on the human side of that, there's obedience and there's responsibility. There's relationship. So am I obeying the letter of the law because the supreme being said, where is my heart? Right. Where is my sincerity? If the law wasn't there. Where, where would my actions go? And so you can cut, you see, you see what I'm getting at? Like you can kind yeah. of slice this a lot of ways and there's a lot of instructions in the Bible. And I think, I think that a lot of people struggle with the idea, like they feel like God is arbitrary. If, if we obey, if we're strictly held to the letter of the law, like the situation with Uzzah, like I know that, I know that over time, um, there's, you know, different churches have sort of done different things with the Ten Commandments. Um, there's people that have hold different uh, beliefs as far as high celebrations during the year, as far as what you eat. Like there's all these different belief systems out there. And most of them can point to some place in the Bible to justify what they do. And I just I find that a very interesting conundrum. Because, yes, in all sincerity, I should be operating within the spirit of God's law, which is love, right? That's the spirit of it. On How does that go? On these two, on these two pr principles, hang all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, hang all the law. Love. Love is the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is how we're supposed to do that. And that I think is where people sometimes look for exceptions. Like, well, my, my, and that's, so when you hear this defiant cry of, well, my heart was in the right place. You know, I was, I was operating out of love. I, I, I did this, you know, blah, blah, blah. You see what I'm getting at? Like, yeah. I think that stuff gets tricky and, and I think modern religion, it's really, really convoluted. We've got all these religions intersecting. Everybody holds different beliefs. These beliefs can be deeply held. They can feel right. Like I've done this since I was a little kid. It stirs my heart with feelings of tradition and love and security and my deepest core beliefs. How can I be wrong and how do I correct it? Right. You see, you see what I'm saying? Mm hmm. You know, when you put it into the context of of those laws, the spirit of the law, it seems to me that it is 
you've got to have some pretty extreme circumstances to be able to have the spirit of the law usurp the letter of the law, especially when we're talking about God's laws. When you talk about, okay, so the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul. Well, if you love the Lord your God, as Jesus said, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, you'll recognize that those first four commandments are all designed to be ways to express that love. And to look for an excuse to not do one of those then works your way right out like clearly just just completely out of the letter or of the yeah works you out of the spirit of that law by trying to find a way to not adhere to the letter of it does that make sense same thing with you know if love love your neighbor as yourself if you are looking for an excuse to to not um to not act according to those other six commandments you are outside of the spirit of what those laws are trying to convey so you know when Uzzah when they you know they might have they might have been able to argue well you know we're trying to show we're trying to show respect to the ark and everything it it everything it represents but by not doing it the way that they had been instructed, they were showing that they really didn't respect it. But at least not not as much as they should have, because they didn't take the time to look into it. They didn't take the time to really consider. I, I don't know that this was a case of them looking for a way to to, to get away with something, right. but uh, it definitely was just they didn't give it the respect it, it deserved. Or you know. the extraordinary became the ordinary to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you think of, of you know you think of man's laws now. I mean, uh, you know, the, one of the, the traffic laws always come up when we have these kind of conversations. You know, the, okay, so you have a, a a light turns red. The letter of the law is that I'm supposed to stop at that light. Well, okay, so I'm in the spirit of the law, or maybe a better one would be a stop sign. You know, the stop sign is there. We all know you go to the stop sign. The letter of the law is you stop. Well, we've probably all done it where we kind of slow down and, and, and roll through the stop sign. Are we in the spirit of the law of the stop sign? Yes, because we can see both ways and we can see there's no traffic coming and that's the point. Yeah, we're showing we're showing caution. We're showing that we, you know, that we understand that this is a place where where it could be dangerous to just blow through the intersection. We're slowing down. We're showing some spirit. Um, but at the same time we are sort of showing a contempt to the spirit of the law by looking for an excuse to not follow it. Does that make sense? If, if, that's, our, if that's our purpose, and I think that's yeah. where God gets to be God, mm-hmm. and he looks at our hearts, mm-hmm. and, and he, he knows what's in our heart probably more than we do. And I don't believe he is like, I don't believe that God is like my daughter's uh, driving test proctor her first one <laughs> she got in there and she failed my daughter uh because she had to come to a stop hammer the brakes so that you rock forward in your seat slam back against the seat and count s t o p then you <laughs> can go well i had taught my daughter to come to a gentle stop so that it doesn't throw her and her passengers around sure so the driver instructor failed her because it didn't throw her forward in the seat. 
She told me that. I'm like, wow. So you're basically looking for a reason to fail someone. She yeah. actually, the instructor, also told my daughter to turn left into a one-way street that was going right. Turn left here. But I was like, uh, this is a one-way. What am I supposed to do? I don't think I should turn left here. What do I do? The instructor didn't say anything, just stared ahead stonily. And my daughter's like, well, I'm not driving up a one-way road. And so she continued and disobeyed the driver. Well, that was that was a trick question. That's not God. Mm-hmm. God's not doing that to, to us. And I think when we're looking at some of these things, we if we're looking at it for an excuse for like, I really want to do X, Y, and Z. Hmm. And then we look in here for an exception. That's our motivation. I mean, we got to be honest about that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and if it's, if it's just, if our purpose in doing so is just to win an argument is just to say, well, the Bible says it. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking in Matthew four, the devil quotes the Bible to Jesus, if you're the son of God, uh, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and in their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now Jesus quotes back, you shall not put the Lord God to your test. So basically Jesus is saying, yeah, literally that's what it says, but the principle is, you don't go around doing stuff just, just to make God jump for your sake, so that you can you know, do a party trick. Yeah, watch this. I don't think, I think if we go to the scriptures looking for what do I do? How do I do this? I want to honor God with my behavior. And this goes back to Deuteronomy 4 is that God's laws are for our benefit. They're not for his benefit, really. I mean, he's God after all. Is that this is, these things are to benefit us. And in the case of Uzzah and this, this is to create, to, I should say, reaffirm the sacredness of who God is and what he's doing. Because remember, we just read in the same in the same reading that the Philistines carried their gods in a backpack, basically. It's like, okay, 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 got your underwear, got socks, got shoes. Uh, did you get the gods? Oh, right, yep, got them. And, and um, the Israelites were supposed to have a totally different conception of who God is. And what's going on here? And they had lost that. Through all of this, David really, really tries to tries to show the respect due to the ark, to the whole tabernacle service. By it says that he's erected a, a, a tabernacle specifically for it in Jerusalem. Uh, they make some offerings. It says that David made the offerings. I'm guessing David, you know, brought them to the tabernacle and that they were they were done properly by a priest. Although it was interesting earlier, David wearing the ephod because usually when you hear the ephod, you're talking about priestly garments. Well, David's he's a he's a he's not a Levite, and so he's not supposed to be making offerings. He's not a priest, but we don't get any indication that God acts out against anything they're doing. So it seems like David is starting to do things the way they're supposed to be done. And I really got the impression that maybe there just hadn't been much going on with the tabernacle for those 20 years, because it's, it seems like, like David is really having to kind of reestablish everything by specifically putting Levites in charge 
of different aspects of the tabernacle again. He gives what's it all happens when you know this all comes in. It, there's it's like a whole nationwide celebration, and, and David sends gifts to to everybody in Israel. It says everybody gets a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. Um, <laughs> you party, man! Yeah, <laughs> <a> party. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you get something that you weren't expecting. It's it's usually pretty nice, even if it is uh, basically lunch. I don't mind getting lunch, you know. But um, we uh, we definitely see that there is respect being put in place that hadn't been there for quite a while. David has this song of thanksgiving, and it reads like a psalm. In fact, I think it even it specifically calls it a psalm. It says that uh, let's see. Yeah, he first delivered this psalm. On that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. And that is the bulk of chapter 16 in First Chronicles, is this, this song of thanksgiving, or psalm of thanksgiving, if you want to call it that. And there's some basic themes through that. And, you, you know, I think we've talked past when we were reading through some of the psalms about how David's, his, his focus in the Psalms seems to sort of change as different situations occur. And here he, it's very much all about Thanksgiving. He's, he's, he talks about protection for God's chosen people. He talks about how only God is worthy of worship and all others are false. He gives a call for people to give to the Lord. And that's not just talking about giving monetarily. I mean, that's like talking about giving of yourself as well, you know, more than just offerings, but, but like like yourself, your being, your your uh, your loyalty. He talks about how all creation expresses God's glory, and he finishes it off with, "Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good; for His mercy endures forever." And that shows up a lot in the Psalms. It shows up in some worship songs today, these days too. That that idea, "Give thanks to the Lord for He is good." I think we've the song now would be, "For His love endures forever." Same, but I think it's the same idea. Yeah. I don't know. Was there anything in that song that that spoke to you guys specifically? I think you kind of covered it for me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just kind of I just kind of broke it down by the sections as it, it yeah. as it is in there, and um, it really shows. But it just it just shows that it shows that that shift now in David's in David's heart, where we went at one point where it was God protect me. Then it was to God, thank you for protecting me. And now it's more, it seems like it's more praise at this point. I don't know if I would, I don't know if I think of that as a shift in his character, though. Oh, no, I no, no, not character. Shift in his circumstance. Like yeah. he's writing a song for this moment mm-hmm. of great celebration where the ark gets to come back to where it should be, as opposed to writing a song out of the moment where he's hiding. Right. And running for his life and everything else. Yeah, if I made it sound like a shift in character, that wasn't what I meant. It's just more of a shift in his focus, mm-hmm. shift in where his thoughts are right now, when where you know how his circumstances are are uh, affecting his thought his thought patterns, thought processes, and so he's it, it's it just comes across really good to me or really well. Yeah. Um, how how David is beginning his kingship over Israel with this deep respect for God, for God's commandments, for God's law. 
recognizing that God has led them where they are and and um, has has watched over them this whole time. And let's see, 16 just ends up basically with telling us how regular worship is maintained now and how he has he has uh, reinst- reinstituted all of this going on with the Levites. So that's kind of where it leaves off, though, is where this whole worship, this whole worship system has been reinstated by David as he has taken over in the kingship, and it's a, it's a, seems to me a good place to go. I mean, is there anybody who's considered a greater king of Israel than David? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, even Solomon, he's talked about being the wisest and then does some stupid things, but I mean, David, he's like the, he's like the pinnacle of of the kings in Israel. Everything everything is compared to him at this point, mm-hmm. or from here out. So that'll wrap up our discussion this week. Next week, we will continue in 2 Samuel chapters 7 through 10, and 1 Chronicles 17 through 19. And we'll see how those compare to each other. While you are waiting for that, Remember, you can reach us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any questions, comments, concerns. You can see us on Facebook. Be sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. And make sure you subscribe so that we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.